0: around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome back to Off the Shelf here on Breadbox Media. I'm your host Pete Sox, the Catholic book blogger. Today we have with us John Martinoni. He's the founder and president of the Bible Christian Society and apologetics and evangelization apostolate that reaches hundreds of thousands of people each year across the United States and throughout the world with the truths of the Catholic faith. For 17 years, he hosted EWTN Radio's Open Line, which was heard on hundreds of stations around the country, and he has founded and run Catholic radio stations in Alabama. He has a regular e-newsletter, Apologetics for the Masses, that has more than 40,000 subscribers in all 50 states and in more than 80 countries around the world. He is currently the Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Birmingham in Alabama, Scott Hahn says John is one of the most effective pro-life evangelistic Catholic apologists in the world, and today we'll be discussing his book, Blue Collar Apologetics, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. Welcome to the show, John.
1: Great to be with you, Pete. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome, and... Uh, that's a great subtitle there, because if there's something we need today, it's uh, common sense and simple logic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that is for doggone sure.
0: <laughs> so, I wanted to start with this. Uh, what inspired you to write uh, Blue Collar Apologetics?
1: Well, basically, it, this is it's kind of a summation of all of the talks and all of the, the newsletters that I've done over the last 15 years or so, and I, I just... People had asked me for years, can you just put all this stuff together in one place? You know, mm-hmm. so I finally did it. And so it was really more of an editing job than it was a a writing job because this stuff had already been written out uh, you know on my newsletters in various places and, and and it was all contained in my talks, you know, a little bit in this talk, a little bit in that talk. And so it was just kind of Pulling it all together and putting it in one place was the process, but but sitting down and finding the time to do that where I <laughs> wouldn't be interrupted for an hour or two on end, that that took a, several years to find that time to do that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, in the introduction of the book, I picked up on a, a point, and that is that we are where we are with dwindling numbers and the like, somewhat due to self-inflicted wounds, uh, the Church has ultimately, in some sense, failed when it comes to catechesis. How in the world did that happen? Because logic dictates as with anything, you want to build and retain, not lose ground.
1: Well, it, what I think happened, or, or maybe at least part of what happened, was you know, before Vatican II, the uh, majority of Catholics, they would send their kids to Catholic schools, and you had very good educators in the schools they were teaching the faith in a in a manner that was you know this is solidly catholic and it was unapologetically catholic and they would in a lot of high schools they they had apologetics courses so you you learn not just what the faith is but why you know why do we do this why do we do that so and you learn how to explain it and defend it to others After Vatican II, we had, you know, so many nuns and priests left the faith, and and there was just this malaise in Catholic uh, catechetical instruction. And and I remember that's when I grew up Catholic, was in the 60s and early 70s. And I I don't remember, I remember in fourth grade, I was confirmed when I was 10 years old, fourth grade, and I remember memorizing uh, uh, three pages worth of Question and answers, which I, I assume now was from the Baltimore Catechism, but after fourth grade, it was kind of like, "Well, what do you guys feel like doing today? What do you feel like talking about today?" And, and and it just and I hated it. I just hated it, you know. And I remember begging my mom each year, "Please don't make me go back." And finally, in ninth grade, she relented and said, "Okay, you don't have to go anymore." And so, you know, I could say my education in the Catholic faith stopped, essentially, in fourth grade. And that was true of a whole bunch of other Catholics. And so catechetical instruction just kind of fell apart. Plus, there was this move uh, amongst—and not the Church, but people were interpreting the Church and taking the the quote-unquote Spirit of Vatican II— and watering down the teachings. They were making them palatable to to Protestants and, and other non-Catholics, and, and just so we could all get along. You mm-hmm. know, there wasn't the emphasis on, no, this is the truth, and people need to be Catholic because it's the truth, and we need them here to receive Jesus in the Eucharist and receive the other sacraments, etc. There wasn't that emphasis. It was kind of like, well,
0: yeah, you
1: know, if they're Baptist or Evangelical or Pentecostal— that's fine they believe in jesus as long as you love uh, everybody you're okay so truth kind of lost out to to love in a sense Mm -hmm. um you know in in a a way that as john paul ii said though if you don't give somebody the truth you can't say that you love them and if you if you you know if you say you're giving them the truth but you don't give them love as well then, then they're not going to accept the truth. So love and truth have to go hand in hand, and they kind of got split up a little bit there right. in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And we're still trying to recover from that. We're <clears throat> not completely recovered, but in, in some areas, there, uh, there's been a lot of progress made to where we're getting back to where, no, let's focus on what is authentically Catholic. Let's be bold and proclaim it so that others at least have the choice to, to decide, yes, I'm going to do this, or no, I'm not going to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. And before we get into a deep conversation about uh, what the book's about in apologetics, discussing our faith with others can be tough, and a lot of folks just outright avoid doing it. What can you share with us that would help subdu- subdue that doubt, so to speak, and fear?
1: Well... I, I, what I can share with you is that's exactly where I was back in the early '90s when I had just come back into my faith and I was really learning my faith for the first time. And people at the bank I was working at, they, they found out, oh, he's Catholic. And well, here in Alabama, Catholics are three to four percent of the population, and and the the evangelicals, Baptists, etc. They are literally taught in their churches. You come across a Catholic, you ask them these questions, and you bring them to Jesus, because Catholics don't know Jesus, they don't know the Bible, they don't know this. You know, and so I had people ask me all these questions, and I couldn't answer a single one of them. <laughs> and so I started, you know, avoiding the Bible folks at lunchtime. Oh, they're sitting at this table. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm going to go eat at my desk. i got work to do, so I'm going to eat while I'm working. Uh, or, you know, somebody come up and say... Oh, well, I had a question about the Bible and the Catholic Church. Oh, look at the time. I've got a meeting. I've, I would turn and run. <laughs> but after learning apologetics and getting into why Catholics believe what we believe, I started say, so I'm going to learn how to answer these questions. So I did, and I've developed these, these techniques, these strategies, and these, these rules of engagement that I have in the book that actually make sharing your faith fun. I, you know, these conversations that I used to avoid like the plague, well, now I, I'm, I go looking for them, or when they come looking for me, I don't avoid them at all, because I know now that, uh, you know, number one, the Catholic Church has the fullness of the truth, but number two, that this conversation is going to be fun, because I'm not going to be on the defensive anymore. I'm going to take the offense, and I'm going to ask this person as many or more questions than they're asking me, and I'm going to get to look in their eyes and see them going, uh, well, uh, hmm, I don't know, uh, well, and plant seeds of the truth with them. Which, again, I tell people, I say, you you, you learn this stuff in my book, and you make it your own, mm-hmm. adapt it to your own particular situations, you are going to have fun discussing your faith from now on. You will never be afraid again.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, a friend of mine um, in our men's group recently was at a retreat, and at that retreat he commented that we can't go out and evangelize if we ourselves aren't versed in the faith. And I attend; I tend to agree with that because it's like anything else. We're not going to walk into a garage and tell a mechanic how to fix a car if we've never wrenched on a car before. At least a sane person wouldn't. Uh, anyhow, My friend got serious pushback on that comment, but isn't that kind of part of the problem? Um, People without a firm foundation and knowledge of the whys of the faith talking to people about the faith and basically being bulldozed over by their perception of what they think the Catholic faith is.
1: It is in a a certain way, And, and here's what I mean by that. In that, no, you don't have to know everything about your faith to go out and evangelize. And because uh, one of the strategies I teach is called the ignorant Catholic strategy, where if you're asked a question about your faith, instead of you know, giving a half-baked answer or your best guess, because you don't want to look foolish as a Catholic, not knowing something about the Catholic faith, but instead of doing that, you just say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. That's a good question. I've never thought about that before. But I tell you what, I'm going to go find out that answer, and I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. So, number one, you don't have to know everything there is to know about your faith, or even a particular topic about your faith, as long as you're honest that you don't know. The problem comes in is with those people, uh, you know, along the lines of what you were talking about, who think they know something, but they know what they've maybe heard from a uh, another Catholic who didn't really know anything, or, or from somebody who was teaching garbage and saying, well, this is what the Catholic Church sees. No, Vatican II changed the teaching on contraception. Oh, Vatican II changed the teaching on the Eucharist. Vatican Mm -hmm. II, I've heard that so many times, you know, I just want to throttle people when (laughs) I, I, no, Vatican II didn't change anything. But they think they did, so they give these answers that have nothing to do with the reality of the faith. And so, yes, that is a problem when you don't know your faith, but you think you do, and you go out and start telling people these answers, but then, like you said, then you get hit with this onslaught of Bible verses, and, and, and you know, Scripture just, you're, you didn't beat over the head with the Bible, and you don't have any response because the stuff you just told them is not Catholic teaching, mm-hmm. and it is not backed up by the Bible. So you're in trouble. But, If you're a Catholic who doesn't know his faith, but knows that he doesn't know it, or or has doubts about, you know, how well he knows, then you can still go out and evangelize as long as you don't push bad information out there. You just say, hey, let's start a conversation, you get into the conversation, you get into a jam, a tough spot, that's where you go all ignorant Catholic, you know? Mm -hmm. Good question. I don't know the answer. But I'm going to find out, and I'll get back to you. And then you go do your homework, and you get back to them.
0: That's good advice. Um, So I'd like to hit a couple of the topics you cover in the book with our remaining time together. And one of the big ones to me when talking with people of other faiths is Mary. She can be a huge stumbling block when it comes to those, particularly if they're considering conversion to the Catholic faith. So what are some of the best ways to explain the Church's teaching on Mary?
1: Well, number one, what I tell Catholics is, okay, many of the Church's teachings on Mary, the the dogmas, are not found directly in the Bible. There is biblical evidence for them, but they're not found directly in the Bible. For example, uh, you'll have someone ask you, well, where in the Bible does it say Mary was assumed into heaven, body, and soul? Where is that in the Bible? Well, as a Catholic, you have to be honest. You say, well, it's not. However, if we look at Revelation 12, there's this woman with a body in heaven, and she's the mother of, of the male child who is going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who's that male child? Well, that's Jesus. Every Protestant in the world will answer you, that's Jesus. Oh, and who was Jesus' mother? You know, so it doesn't say this is Mary, mm-hmm. body and soul, but there's evidence. So um, so what you need to do in those instances, a couple things. Number one, where revisit that last question. Where in the Bible does it say Mary was assumed into heaven, body and soul? Huh. Well, let me ask you this, Mr. Evangelical. <laughs> where in the Bible does it say she wasn't? Mm-hmm. Well okay, now now we've got a situation here where you've got your interpretation of the Bible, I've got mine, they're equal under Protestant theology. And so you tell me where it says she wasn't assumed body and soul. I mean, you've got Enoch was assumed body and soul, Elijah was assumed body and soul. There's these uh, couple of witnesses that are at some point in the future that God sends to Earth that they're killed, and they lay in the street for three days, and then they're assumed body and soul into heaven. So why couldn't Mary have been assumed body and soul into heaven? And then, so that's a common sense approach. But then as you learn the Scripture, and you learn about Revelation 12 and some other places, then you can say, but here's also scriptural evidence of this. So I, I tell Catholics, I see, look, Even though there's no direct mention of the Assumption of Mary, or the Immaculate Conception of Mary, there is evidence for these things in Scripture. But then again, you use your common sense, you use simple logic, and then you start learning how to use the Scripture, and you can handle every question there is about Mary. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, there are these, there's these two lines of thoughts out there that you bring up in the book, Sola Scriptura, the Bible alone, and Sola Fide, faith alone. And I've always felt that these two camps are missing something and that we have the joy of the total package. How do we go about bridging this gap and convincing each of these camps that if they take a little from the other side, they'd have a much more complete faith experience?
1: Well, the, the Sola Scriptura folks... What I show them is, number one, there are direct passages in Scripture where Paul, for instance, is talking to uh, folks he's writing a letter to, let's say the Thessalonians, and he says, I commend you for keeping the traditions even as I have delivered them to you, whether in writing or by word of mouth. And it's like, okay, so in writing, so that's what we would call Scripture, and then word of mouth, traditions, that's what we would call sacred tradition, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it says, Paul says in there that they are the Word of God, not the Word of men, these traditions. So you've got direct scriptural evidence that sola scriptura is not correct, but then there's common sense evidence, and I, I, I ask the question, you know, there's a couple questions I ask about sola scriptura, I asked someone, I said, do you believe that Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark? And everybody says, yes, well, of course I believe that. Uh, well, where does the Bible say someone named Mark <laughs> wrote the Gospel of Mark? You know, and how do you know it's inspired Scripture? Well, it's, it's in the Bible, you know? Uh, yeah, okay, it's in the Bible, but how do you know it's inspired Scripture? How does anybody know? I mean— Does the Bible say the Gospel of Mark was written by someone named Mark, and it's the inspired, inerrant Word of God? No. Mm -mm. So what witness, who are you trusting to believe that the Gospel of Mark is the inspired, inerrant Word of God? You know, sola scriptura, folks, well, you have to go by the Bible alone. But the Bible doesn't tell you. So who are you believing? Well, when you get down to it, when they really think about it and you make them think about it, they're relying on some authority outside of Scripture in order to have scripture in the first place mm-hmm. And so, like you said, you need not just the Bible, but you need that authority outside of the Bible as well. You need them both together, and then you have the fullness of the Word of God. And, and without that, Authoritative witness to Scripture, you can't trust that Scripture is what you think it is—the Word of God. Well, who's that authoritative source? Well, let's go back and look at it from history. It, it, you know, you, you deduce that, well, golly, it's got to be the Catholic Church because they're the only folks who were around in the in the first few centuries. You know, and, and I, I tell them, I said it was Catholic bishops at these these church councils. It was Catholic monks copying the Scripture by hand. It wasn't Baptist monks. Mm -hmm. It wasn't evangelical monks. It wasn't non-denominational monks. Catholic monks. Everywhere you look, you see the Catholic Church and the Word of God, the Catholic Church and Scripture. So the Catholic Church is our witness. So we need both the Church and the Bible in order to have the fullness of the deposit of faith. And Mm -hmm. then with Sola Fide, when I when I ask people, I say, "Okay, you believe that we are saved by faith and faith alone, right? Absolutely, faith alone." I said, "So by definition, love has nothing to do with our salvation." And and I get looks. People look at me. I say, "Well, it's faith alone. Alone means alone. So love has nothing to do with our salvation. So I don't have to love God." And I don't have to love my neighbor, but as long as I believe God died for me on the cross, I'm saved. Well, no, that doesn't. Well, it's like, well, you know, if it's faith alone, then love has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. So, but then I take, I said, look, here's a much fuller explanation or much fuller belief, and I go to Galatians five six, which I always tell Catholics, if you want a simple. One line explanation or, or, or recitation of the Catholic belief on salvation, go to Galatians 5 6. It says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. So I say, You got faith and you got love, and love makes the faith work, so you've got faith and works but all by the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And there you get, you know, you got your faith, you got the works, you got the grace of God, you got the full picture for salvation, not just either or, but both and. I tell people a lot of times there are a lot of things, differences between Catholic and Protestant faith traditions is that a lot of Protestants are either or, whereas Catholics are both and. You know, Protestants are either the Bible or Tradition, Catholics are both the Bible and tradition. Either Jesus or Mary, and you no, know, Jesus and Mary, or, or either Jesus or Mary and the saints, no, Jesus and Mary and the saints. So it's both and, not either or.
0: Mm-hmm. You cover a lot of ground in this book. It's um, Just to give people an idea, we're talking 318 pages of what I would consider a, a great... Uh, Handbook, uh, field guide to apologetics and uh, evangelization, as we mentioned. Another subject you have in here is about authority and people, depending upon how those authority figures behave. I'm not, you know, pointing towards our time or anything, but when it comes to religion, that's equally true and it's a big turnoff for some. And it's, it, it was never an issue for me as a convert. This The infrastructure of the Church, the hierarchy, the Pope, bishops, priests, as, as a convert, it all made sense to me because it, it, it um, was a well-formed um, structure that was in place to help pass on the faith from age to age. Uh, the big question to me here is how do we defend that logic to others?
1: Well, what I do, I tell people a couple things. Number one— <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I share my own experience with them. that When I was out of the church for 13 years and living what I call a, a, a world-class heathen lifestyle, uh, and then towards the end of that period where, where I was starting to come back to the church, and I, I'm, I start thinking about God again, and then there's all these moral issues that I had to start grappling with. And, and so I'm, I'm wrestling with, okay, well, how do I what's what's true about this? Which way should this go? And, and I start picking up the Bible, and I'm thinking, okay, the answers are in the Bible, and I start reading the Bible. Well, is abortion okay or not? Is contraception okay or not? You know, uh, what can we do here? What can we do there? Are these things – what's right? What's wrong from a moral standpoint? And I'm having to wrestle with these big questions. Well, when I finally submitted back to the church and came back into the church, I said, I don't have to decide these issues anymore. This is not – the the weight of the world in answering these questions is not on my shoulders. There are people far smarter and far holier than me who have already wrestled with these questions, and the Church has already decided these questions, and I just need to say, okay, here it is. So that, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is <clears> – <throat> Without a central authority, without that one um, infallible authority, what do you get? Well, you get each man for himself, Mm -hmm. you know, because under Protestant theology, where there is no such thing as infallibility, there is no infallible authority other than God himself, so there's no human institution or person who you could say is infallible, what do you get? Well, you get Jim over here gets to read the Bible and come up with this theology. I get to read the Bible and come up with this theology. Susie gets to read the Bible and come up with her own theology. Mm -hmm. And, well, everybody's right, because everybody has the authority under Protestant theology to read the Bible for themselves and to decide for themselves what is good doctrine, what is bad doctrine, what are good morals, what are bad morals, what... What good Christian practice is and what it isn't. And that's why you've got hundreds of thousands of denominations Mm -hmm. in the Christian faith tradition these days, because everybody's coming up with their own little thing, and everybody's going their own little way, and it says in Scripture, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And that's why the Christian faith is taking such a hit right now, I believe, because we are so divided. Mm-hmm. And with that, without that one central authority that the Bible very clearly indicates, you know, it says, take it to the Church. You know, if you've got a, a problem, division between two Christians, you take it to the Church. Well, in Protestantism, there's no Church to take it to, right. because no, no Church can give you a binding, authoritative decision. In the Catholic faith, we've got the Church, and if you've got a dispute, that's why we called councils all over the last 2,000 years, because there were disputes, they took it to the Church, the Church said, this is the way it is, with the authority given to it by the by Jesus Christ, and the issue was decided, it was settled. But, so that's the difference. You get chaos without this central authority, or you have unity because of this central authority.
0: Hmm. John, great book, well-written, simple and easy to understand. I think it's going to be a great tool for many. Where can people find your book, Blue Collar Apologetics?
1: They can go to EWTN Religious Catalog, which is EWTNRC.com, and if it doesn't pop up on the homepage, which it has been the last few weeks, just type in Blue Collar, and it'll take you right to the book. So EWTNRC.com, and type Blue Collar into the search engine, and it'll take you right there.
0: John, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and spending with us. Any closing it's, thoughts?
1: Well, it was my pleasure, Peter. And just so people know, because you said, you know, it's a thick book, and it is, but each chapter is sort of a standalone chapter. So you can mm-hmm. take it and you can do do something on Mary, learn about Mary one one day or, or purgatory the next or or solo script tour the next so each chapter standalone you can divide it up and take as long as you want to soak in each topic and, and really learn it and learn how to to uh to share it with others. and with that you
0: can listen to off the shelf here on Redbox media i'm your host pizza and capital blogger until next time god bless